The preacher man says it's the end of time And the Mississippi River, she's a gold dry The interest is up and the stock market's down And you're only getting mugged if you go downtown Got a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, and a country boy can survive. Hi folks, Bob Main here. Welcome to another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. This is a practical show. No tin foil hattery here. I just keep this rooted in common sense. No crazy conspiracy theories and things like that. This is episode number 144. I'm sorry I've been away for a while, folks. Been more than a couple weeks since I put an episode out just been absolutely swamped with my new job trying to do that trying to learn you know the the training that they're putting me through i'm learning a brand new industry even though it is in the security and access control industry it's a whole different market segment and so there's a lot of different uh, nuances and different things that are pertinent to being successful in that business that i'm trying to learn this will go on about three or four months, and then finally once I get it, I'll have it, and then I'll probably be able to concentrate a little bit more on using my free time to uh, bring you some more shows on a regular basis. So I appreciate uh, your understanding on that. So this show is going to be about the differences between military survival and then surviving as a civilian. And you know, folks, I'm a civilian. And I don't have a military background or anything like that. A lot of people in the preparedness business do, or a lot of people who blog and podcast about preparedness, got their training or got a lot of their survival training in the military. Well, that wasn't me. Uh, I regret that I did not serve. I, I really wish I would have served this country in the military, but I did not. So I, I'm just you know an ordinary person, and I just get my survival training from every method that I can. And uh, I got a lot to learn, folks. One of the reasons why I do this podcast, I've mentioned it many times, I learn a lot from doing this show. This, I, You know, I, maybe that's a little bit self-serving. I don't know. But I learn a lot from doing it. So I'm making a drive here. Oftentimes, I do this podcast when I'm driving and I'm uh, making a business trip. Actually, I'm coming home from a business trip right now. I was in Austin, Austin, Texas, for three and a half days. On a trade, doing doing a trade show, a busy trade show, and now I'm driving back home to uh, my house in the Dallas Fort Worth area. One of these days, pretty soon, I won't have uh, such long drives anymore. Once we've completed the move to San Antonio, which is going to be right around the end of July, then uh, my my territory is primarily going to consist of San Antonio, Austin, and Houston. That's where I'm going to spend most of my time. So the length of my drives won't be quite as long. And boy, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, my road warrior and windshield time will be a lot less. Anyway... Back on topic here. Sorry, I got a little bit off. So some of the differences between military survival and surviving in the civilian world. It, let me tell you why I decided to bring this up and, and use this as a topic. If you follow Surviving in Argentina blog by Furfall, uh, if you're not looking at that blog, you should look at Furfall's blog. That's spelled F-E-R-F-A-L. Furfall is from Argentina. I can't remember his name right now, his full name. But if you just Google Surviving in Argentina, it'll take you right to Furfall's blog on Blogspot. And this is this actually was written last summer. 
But if, if you haven't seen it, I sure want to share this with you. I am going to put a link to this article. And uh, where I first saw it, I first saw it on a website called themodernsurvivalist.com. So I want, to, want you to check that out, too, themodernsurvivalist.com. And it's called The Civilian Survivalist is the name of this article written by Furfall. So it looks like they've linked to it, and it's a great, great article. And so that's where I'm going to get some of the information uh, that I'm going to share with you. And, of course, I'm going to put the Bob Main spin of the Bob Main flavor on it, since this is my show. Now, let me talk about the Internet for a minute. You know, you have to go to the Internet to get this podcast. And the Internet also produces a lot of what I call Internet commandos. And I, and I talk about that a lot on the other podcast that I do, which is on guns. I do another show called The Handgun World Show. And that's on the Gun Rights Radio Network. And all I do is talk about guns on that. So, by the way, if you're interested in firearms, you might want to check that out. I try, to keep, I try not to talk about firearms too much on this. This is basic common sense preparedness. But these, the, you know, you have these internet commandos on the internet, don't you? The people that know everything, and it's amazing. You know, people will get behind a keyboard and they'll spend more time plunking out words on a keyboard, trying to make themselves look like an expert, and less time actually doing and preparing. And I take a common sense approach to preparedness. You know, I don't go tinfoil hat, but boy, do you ever see some tinfoil hatters on the internet, don't you? I mean, whoo, all you got to do is get on some survival blogs and also some survival forums. And there, there's several of them out there that I really like that don't get real extreme. Um, Lisa, Bedford, Lisa Bedford's blog, thesurvivalmom.com, is a real good one. So I want to give some shout-outs here. Some shout-outs to some blogs and people and other podcasts and so forth that really deserve it. Some, some podcasts and blogs that I read and that I listen to that I think are a little bit more down-to-earth. And I want to start with this because it's going to kind of set up the subject matter. So go to thesurvivalmom.com for you ladies out there. It's a great resource, but, hey, I read her blog because her, I think her blog is a great resource for anybody. She has a book coming out as well. And, of course, The Survival Blog, James Rawls' The Survival Blog, uh, just a huge amount of information. I mentioned one right in the beginning of this, Furfall's blog. Just, just Google surviving in Argentina. And the first thing that pops up is probably going to lead you straight to Furfall's blog. It's really good. Uh, you know, he he writes a lot about the trials and tribulations that Argentina went through uh, a few years, several years back when they went through their collapse. It's really interesting reading, and he, he keeps it very common sense. See, I'm going to refer you to folks that are common sense. That's that's my goal. Uh, Jack Spearco's The Survival Podcast. Excellent. Uh, you know, one of the things that Jack does not do is he doesn't go real crazy either. And, uh, and I really like that. I've learned a tremendous amount. Uh, Chip Monk's. Uh, Chipmunk's Family Survival Podcast is what he calls it. Chipmunk's Family Survival Podcast. Just glue, uh, just Google these. And uh, Chipmunk spells that uh, Chip, M-O-N-K. And, of course, uh, if you just Google The Survival Podcast, you'll find Jack Spierko's show. Okay, uh, another good common sense blog out there is survivalistblog.net. Survivalistblog.net. I hope I got that right. I think I did. Survivalistblog.net. 
Some of the forums out there, oh boy, I tell you what, well first of all, let me talk about our forum, today's survival show forum. I take a lot of pride in keeping that down to earth, and uh, gosh, I've been fighting, keeping a lot of spammers out of there lately. Whew, boy, that's tough. There's some real jerk-offs that are spammers out there that that just really irritate me, but we try to keep our forum very common sense and friendly, and uh, another one is Prepared Society. Dot com. You might want to check them out, preparedsociety.com, uh, and of course, uh, Survivalist, uh, excuse me, I got a little distracted there while I was driving uh, on something, car going by me, survivalistsboards.com, once again, that's survivalistboards.com, some good common sense ones out there. All right, anyway, so you got these internet commandos out there, and one common mistake that you see a lot of these internet preparedness people or internet commandos. You know, I can't think of a better term to call them, okay? So I just call them internet commandos, you know. Anyway, one common mistake that people make that are into survival and disaster planning is they start to associate military operations with, uh, and they start kind of mixing that into, and then start telling civilians to prepare that way. And the whole mental attitude they, that they propose, and the gear that they buy, and so forth, and the tactics that they talk about, sometimes are more military-focused rather than civilian-focused. Now, for me, you're going to get a civilian's point of view, because that's what I am. But you get these people that are just fantasizing on the internet. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, they're just, you know, it seems like they're actually writing stories and fantasies. Maybe some of them could write good novels. I don't know. But uh, sometimes I scratch my head and I go, this can't really be taken too seriously. I mean, come on. But if you think about military survival and civilian survival... There's not a lot of similarities. I mean, there's a lot of opposites, really. And one of the things that Furfall does a great job of is pointing out how opposite some of these are. And here's some examples that he gives. You know, the military typically, uh, they make you follow orders, right? I mean, and again, even though I'm not from the military, everybody knows the military asks you to follow a certain set of orders. And sometimes you follow orders against your own instincts and against your own will, but guess what? That's your job. When you sign up for the military, you know that and you follow those orders. Okay? And the primary objective of those orders is there's a mission going on. They've got to complete a mission, they have to complete an, an, an objective. And that's their whole focus. But that's a lot different, isn't it, than a civilian? A civilian's main objective is to survive probably some kind of a domestic disaster that's happened to them. Maybe there's some kind of a weather disaster. Uh, Maybe it's something as simple as losing a job, which can be tragic. Uh, Maybe a tornado, as, as we've seen earlier this year, has come through and wiped out your neighborhood. Maybe you've been a victim of an earthquake. God forbid, maybe you're, you know, just had some kind of a terrorist attack that's, you know, decimated part of your, uh, your neighborhood or your city or something like that. And as a civilian, your mind is, not, you know, you are, you are taking on a mission at that point, but you weren't given orders to go and carry out a mission. And, and, and a military person is given orders, and sometimes 
they find themselves in a survival situation. Maybe something goes wrong. Maybe something goes wrong in the mission. Maybe people get stranded for some reason. Maybe they're stranded behind enemy lines or something like that. And, of course, then they have to go into survival mode. And, of course, throughout the mission, they're in survival mode. But for a civilian, it's a lot different. A civilian doesn't necessarily have the supplies as readily available sometimes as a military person on a mission. Now, if the disaster happens to you while you're at home and all your stuff is stored properly at home, well, then you would have access to supplies, wouldn't you? Right? Because if you're doing what you're supposed to do, if you're stocking up on supplies and you're putting away in a common sense preparedness, like I've talked about many times in in previous episodes, if you're doing that and you are at home when the stink hits the fan, then obviously you're going to have access to supplies. But what if you're not? What if you're not at home? What if disaster strikes? Like, what if, what if it hits me while I'm making one of my business trips on the road? Okay, I'm ready. I mean, I've got my 72-hour kit with me, but it's a 72-hour kit. It may not contain the resources that a company of military soldiers might have at their, at their disposal. Okay, so there's a huge amount of difference between serving in the armed forces along with your other brothers in arms versus... Facing the problems with a wife and kids to take care of. Okay? So, let's talk about firearms for a minute. Again, this is not a gun show. I don't do this on guns. But but here, I'm going to use the subject of firearms to differentiate the differences between military survival and civilian survival. This is, you know, and Furfall did a great job of this. And I'm going to kind of add some of my own flavor to it because it's really good. And again, folks, I really urge you to read the article in its entirety. Okay? But you read a lot about 7.62 caliber versus 5.56 caliber, or commonly what, you know, the caliber that 223s shoot. You know, most AKs shoot 7.62. Most, not all, but most of them shoot 7.62. And, of course, the, uh, the uh, AR-15s shoot 5.56, or the Mini-14s. And so forth. From a military point of view, the ability to carry and, most important, manufacture and transport to the battle zone two or three times as much 5.56 ammo for the price of maybe, you know, a volume of, of one 7.62 stash, that's huge. Okay, so for the military, being able to ship a, a larger quantity of rounds and manufacture and be able to transport a larger volume and quantity of rounds, one versus the other, that's big. That's a big deal. But that's the military. Let's talk about Joe Civilian like me, or you, who might be listening to this. If you get one, two, or three shots on target, you know, let's say you've got people attacking you, they're trying to loot you, uh, you know, they, don't, they, they didn't do a good enough job of preparing, they were ostriches, ostriches, they stuck their head in the sand, they didn't believe anything bad could ever happen to them, all of a sudden it did, they're unprepared, they turn violent, they come after you and come after your stuff. That's a little bit different. You may only get one or two, maybe three shots off. Okay, that might be all it's ever going to need is a few shots. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. No, Bob, guess what? You're misleading people. I got to have my 500 rounds of 223 at disposal, and I got to have my 14 30 round magazines loaded and ready to go with all my fancy schmancy ammo because I'm going to fight off the zombies that are going to be coming. 
Okay, could that happen? Well, okay, I, I, I have to admit that it's possible. And you know, I'm going to refer you to other podcasts and blogs if you want to be a zombie hunter. I'm not going to talk about being a zombie hunter, okay? Because I think the likelihood of the average citizen like you and me having to turn ourselves into a zombie hunter, I think that likelihood is quite slim. And you know what? I'm not an expert in being a zombie hunter anyway, so I'm not going to podcast about it. Maybe there's some other experts out there. I'll refer you to some of those podcasts or some of those blogs. But the average Joe civilian trying to fight off burglars or looters, people coming after his or her stuff, because these other people were not prepared, you're probably not going to be in the same position as a military man or woman serving amongst their brothers and sisters in arms and trying to fight off an advancing enemy. So since you're only going to get a few shots off, you want them to count and you want them to be the best. You want them to be the most efficient shots that you can take. Now, let's also talk about identifying threats. The difference between military identifying threats and uh, a civilian who might have to be identifying a threat. When you're wearing the uniform of the military... Sometimes it's a little easier to figure out who the good guys are. I mean, the people shooting at you and not obeying your orders are probably the threat, right? They might be the ones that you need to shoot. But you don't always have that advantage as an armed citizen, do you? As a civilian survivalist, sometimes you might not know who the bad guys are until it's too late. Now, I know some of you who served in the military might say, Hey, Bob, guess what? I fought in war zones where we didn't really know who the, who the bad guys were either. I understand that. I do understand that. But a lot of times the military has the benefit of some intelligence, at least even if it's not 100% accurate. They've got some intelligence. They have some pre-planning, right? They've pre-planned and they've rehearsed a lot of these missions at times. As civilians, if a disaster comes through and wipes us out, if, if a flood comes through or a hurricane comes through and wipes out your neighborhood, you... You didn't really get a chance to plan for that other than storing supplies in your house, right? And you may not know, not know how the whole aftermath or even how the lead-up is going to play out. You, didn't, you don't, typically don't get the advantage that some of the military people do. And folks, I'm not saying, you know, to all of you who have served in the military, I'm not saying you have an easier job. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't misquote me. Please don't misconstrue something that I'm saying here. I'm not saying you have an, a, a, an easy job. You have a tough job. You put your life on the line in harm's way, and I appreciate you. If you are a soldier and you are listening to this or you are a former soldier... I thank you. I salute you. You have gone out there and fought for my right to do this podcast and to live my life the way I want, and I appreciate that. I just want you to know that, and I mean that sincerely, and I'm not saying that I think you have an easy job. I'm just saying that your tactics for survival could vary quite a bit from a civilian's tactics. That's all I'm saying here. And sometimes, I mean, consider this, okay? Let's say you're Joe Citizen, average citizen, and you go to the bank to uh, get a cashier's check or something, okay? And you walk in the lobby. For some reason, you got to go in the bank lo- lobby, and all of a sudden, two kooks come in, and they're holding up the bank. Well, okay, now you know who the bad guys are, and you're a civilian, and, and these are the bad guys. Now, 
here's the problem. Even if you had a chance to fight them, would you? Would you fight them? There's a lot of differences of opinion. You also may have a lot of innocent bystanders in that bank if some kooks come in. Let's talk about a restaurant, okay? Let's say you're like me. You're in Texas where we have great Mexican food. You're in there on a Saturday afternoon with your family in a, in a restaurant. You're enjoying some great Mexican food, and some lowlife comes in, and he's pissed off about something and decides he wants to start shooting the place up. Now you know who the bad guys are. Maybe you are a concealed carry permit holder. Maybe you decide to defend your, yourself and your family, which I think you should. But guess what? You clearly can identify the bad guys. However, there's a bunch of innocent bystanders nearby, and you don't want to shoot them. And why am I pointing this out? Here's something to think about. Furfall makes a good point here. He says, when somebody dies during a war without being involved directly in the conflict, it's called collateral damage. When it happens in the civilian world, it's called murder. And you could go to jail for it. And you could go to jail for a long time. Think about that. That's what makes this whole scenario different. So when you've got people that are taking the military point of view, especially when it comes to firearms and ammunition and defending themselves... Be careful about how much of that you decide to employ in your, old da- your own daily survival preparations and your own survival training. That's what I'm talking about. And what's even worse than going to jail because you might have shot an innocent person, even when you're trying to defend yourself, is that you might end up shooting a loved one by mistake. Okay, you know, during a military operation, you don't have your wife and your kids running around you as the bullets are flying, do you? So when it comes to firearms, target recognition and training yourself what to do in different circumstances. Now, I'm not saying that a soldier doesn't have to do that either. Obviously, soldiers have to train themselves for a a wide range of circumstances they could find themselves in. I'm just saying the training is very different for military people than it is for civilians. Now, there's a lot of training courses you can go to since we're talking, I'm on the subject of guns here, and I'm going to get off the subject of guns in just a minute. But there is a, there are a lot of training programs out there that you can go to that are taught by experts that are very good that will teach you what to do in situations like I've just described. Uh, getting training is something that is should be number one on your list uh, when talking about guns for survival. But let's get off of guns here now for a minute. And let's talk about personal equipment and personal supplies. Let's talk about bug-out bags for a minute. You know, we've talked so much about bug-out bags. And on the forum, there's all kinds of... Uh, you know, information about bug out bags. And by the way, if some of you are relatively new to listening to my show, you can find the registration link for our forum. Just go to todayssurvival.com. That's the website where I host this podcast. Todayssurvival.com. Click the forum button. It'll take you to where you want to go. I'll have to approve you as a member. And I'll check it with my spam filter, make sure you're not a spammer, and then I'll approve you and put you through. And you'll get an email from the forum saying that it's time to activate your account, that you've been approved. Okay? So I wanted to throw that out there. I realized in the the beginning when I did the announcements, I forgot to talk about that. So a bug-out bag has to be light. 
if you're going to go from point A to point B, which isn't that the reason for a bug out bag, right? Going from point A to point B. And typically it's got to be light. It's got to be something that you can you can carry with you easily. You're going to go from one place to another, from one place where you have no help to another place where you may be able to get help or get supplies. And you're probably going to have friends or family to care for at that point. I've got a 13-year-old son. Okay, My son now is at the age where he can assist a lot in carrying stuff. He's strong. Uh, he's also very skilled in martial arts. And he's also very, um, very agile. And he's very strong. And he can do a lot of things. And by the way, let me take a moment to brag on my son here. Uh, my son uh, studies mixed martial arts. He's been studying MMA for about four and a half years now. The MMA school that he goes to here in the North Dallas area... They do have a belt system. They award belts. And so my son is going to get his black belt uh, the third week in July from the MMA school here. And then once we complete uh, moving down to San San Antonio, uh, he's going to go to Rodrigo Panero's uh, MMA school down there in San Antonio and continue his MMA training. I'm I'm very proud of him. He's... uh, you know, he's, he's done very well for himself at the ripe old age of 13 years old. I don't worry too much about him being able to handle himself. And, uh, and, I've, and I've seen my son take on two people at the same time who are much larger than him. And his main objective is to get away without being hurt. And, uh, and he does it. He does it most of the time. So uh, I'm proud of him for that. Okay, so back to the subject anyway about bug out bags you may have some friends and family and possibly even kids tagging along if you've got to bug out okay some of us might have infants it changes the whole game doesn't it and so what a civilian needs to pack and carry in their bug out bag might be a whole lot different than what somebody in the military or in a military operation needs to have in their emergency gear Okay, A ton of ammo and a ton of guns is probably not what you're going to be carrying at that point. I'm not saying you're not going to have any defensive firearms. But, you know, have you ever read all these posts on the Internet about, oh, when I my bug-out bag, I'm going to have 150 rounds of 223, and I'm going to have 75 shotgun rounds, and I'm going to have, you know, a whole bunch of handgun rounds and several hundred of them and so forth, and I got a bug-out bag, I can carry all that with me. Come on. You know, let's get real. Let's look at this from a civilian point of view. You got a whole bunch of other stuff to carry in your 72-hour kit than all of that, don't you? So the weight of ammo, you know, all these arguments about the weight of ammo and how it weights down your bug-out bag. I got to be honest, folks. I think that that's wasted energy. I think it's wasted conversation because 99% of most civilians are not going to be carrying that much. That's not going to be their objective. Okay? They might have one box of something to help them fend off some idiots that want what they have while they're bugging out, and that's probably it. Now, I'm not talking about loading up a vehicle. That's different. I'm not talking about loading up a vehicle here. I'm just talking about what you're going to throw on a on an internal frame pack that you use as a bug-out bag. I use a, a Jansport internal frame pack. I got it from Academy for 60 bucks. It's nice. Nice and comfortable. I can store a ton of crap in that. I can easily get everything I'm going to need for 72 hours. And I'm not loading it up with 45 pounds of ammunition and guns, folks. I'm just not doing that. 
especially if I have to evacuate on foot, or especially if I'm in my car and for some reason I can't drive anymore, but I still want to get someplace, and I say to my wife and my son, all right, we're on foot now, let's throw our packs on our, on our back and let's go. We may have to go hundreds of yards. We may have to go a quarter mile, half a mile. Who knows how far? Okay, sorry, folks. Had an interruption there for a business call. Now, since I'm talking about bugging out with a bug-out bag, you know, I've said this a few times on this show. I I recall saying it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it again. I I think the wiser choice is always to bug in. That's just my personal opinion. Staying put, bugging in at your house where all your supplies are, where you've spent all this time and all this money, Putting, putting things away and, and, and supplies and, and so forth, that's the better option in my humble opinion. I know some may disagree, but it seems to me like most of what I see and most of what I read out there, staying put is the best option. I realize that there might be times that you can't do that. So if you're going from point A to point B, maybe there's civil unrest, maybe there's some reason why you can't stay where you're at, Okay, as long as you have a good justified reason in doing so, I understand. But, you know, if at all possible, stay put. I just wanted to kind of put that out there, okay? So in that case, your pack's going to be loaded with the food and water and spare clothes and uh, and so forth and sleeping material and, and shelter building material and so forth and fire starting equipment and all of those things, you know. You know, you're not going to be carrying a bunch of infantry equipment like you hear a lot of these internet commandos on websites talk about. Because, again, this is the difference between a military survival operation and what civilians uh, need to put away, in my opinion. That's kind of what, what I'm talking about here. That's the main thrust of this show. Now, let's talk about knives for a minute. Now, there there's some military-type knives or blades, you know... There's a lot of differences between what most military folks are probably going to have versus what a lot of civilian people are going to have. You know, the military are going to have more combat-oriented knives, most likely. And they may have more than one knife. They may have several knives for whatever uh, task that they may seem to find themselves in. You know, that they, during their planning, they may think that they'll be in some situations and they may have several knives for the job. Whereas to try to keep things light, some of us may only have one or two and they may be a lot smaller. For us, our knives might be just primarily used for opening up things, prying things open. Uh, you know, it might be used for cutting rope and so forth. Uh, if you kill an animal, it might be used for skinning an animal and so forth. Where a soldier's knives might be a lot more tactical and more fighting oriented. So I try to choose my survival knives, like the K-Bar that I recently bought. Uh, I put a picture of it on the forum. You can see that. I may post another picture of it just so it's easier for you to find the thread. I can't even remember the name of the of the K bar I bought, but it's a pretty large size K bar, and I got it at a gun show, and I think it's a fantastic civilian survival knife. It might not be all that good for a military person. I don't know. I mean, it might not be all that good as an attack knife, but I'm not going to really use it as an attack knife. Okay, I have other ways to defend myself. Uh, a knife is not going to be my first choice. I could use my K-Bar survival knife as an attack knife. I can also use my small 3-inch blade Kershaw 
as, a t- as an attack knife if I really needed to go to it. And again, this is where training comes in. You know, the better training you have with any edged weapon, the better off you're going to be. And, and again, you know, self-defense from a civilian standpoint with a knife is going to be a lot different than self-defense from a military standpoint. Okay? For civilians, a good survival knife needs to be able to chop wood and build shelters and things like that and, uh, you know, skin animals and so forth. But I think typically, and as Furfall kind of agrees in this article, that most civilian survivors are going to do the best they can to avoid fighting as much as possible. And uh, therefore, the, the kind of blade that they choose for survival might not be as fighting oriented. And, you know, you hear about a lot of people, and again, you know, these internet survivalists, and they've got all these wonderful, fancy combat knives. And combat knives are cool. I'm not knocking people that have them. But sometimes a combat knife is not all that practical for chopping wood, you know, cutting rope, skinning animals, things like that. And again, it's, you know, you've you got to be light, especially if you're talking about a bug out bag. And that's kind of what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about bugging in. I'm talking about if you do have to leave, you want to keep your pack as light but as functional as possible. That's, that's kind of the, the main thrust here of this show. But again, think about it. Military missions typically require soldiers to purposefully go into harm's way to achieve a mission. And so it changes the type of weapons that a soldier is going to use. And also, if you think about it, a soldier is part of a big operation and a big chunk of machinery, and they have a pretty specific role. Okay? They have a certain role in that whole attack plan. Whereas a civilian survivor has to be more of a jack of all trades. You may not find yourself as a civilian with a specific role as part of a large attack unit. And I've done shows on becoming a jack of all trades. I think becoming a jack of all trades is a good thing. You know, people who are jacks of all trades kind of get made fun of. You know, we've all heard the saying, oh, he's a master. He's a jack of all trades and a master of none. What's wrong with that? I think as a survivalist, it's okay to be a jack-of-all-trades. Yes, I do think you have to master a few things, but I don't see why it's a problem if you are a jack-of-all-trades. And if you think about it, you know, since we're talking about, you know, knives and things, and we're talking about weaponry and so forth, let's also think about the distances of engagement. You know, and, and this is what I see a lot on internet, internet forums that really irritate me. Okay, you, you, you see civilian survivalists talking about engaging people at 600 yards. Come on. Okay, and they'll have literal arguments on the Internet. People will have arguments about weaponry that they can use to shoot people at 600 yards. Okay, what's the point in that? As a civilian survivalist, let's be real here. Let's be practical. Let's be rooted in common sense, as I like to make this show. How often do you think you're going to be shooting at somebody 600 yards away? Okay? Now, if you're talking about shooting a game 600 yards away, if you're in a civilian survivalist situation and you're trying to shoot a deer at 600 yards away to put food on the table, okay, that's good. A good bolt-action 308 or .30-06 with a nice scope and you should be in good shape. But you don't need a battle rifle for that. And battle rifles are cool. 
I mean, battle rifles are great. I've got a battle rifle. I have an AR-15, okay, and I love it. It's great. And, yeah, it'll shoot at 600 yards. I don't practice much at 600 yards. But, folks, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, people that just, they're, they're these Internet commandos. And they'll just spend so much time plunking away at the keyboard trying to convince other people that you've got to be set up to take out zombies and bad guys at 600 yards. And if you're not, you're not a survivalist. Baloney. You know, folks, <laughs> a good shotgun with, with buckshot that's effective out to 25 yards is probably most of the time, all you're ever going to need. Let's think about it. So think about sidewalk range most of the time. Okay, sidewalk range. You know, the other side of the sidewalk. Or the other, or, or at the, or, or, or driveway range. Let's think about driveway range. You know, that's what I focus myself on. You know, you've heard me talk about, about home security before. And I apply some of my home security uh, techniques and some of my home security philosophies to also security when I'm traveling, okay? And at home, I concentrate, and I I live in the suburbs, folks, okay? I don't live on a big, large piece of land in a a rural area. So I concentrate on protecting my home and the perimeter from the front door of my house to the end of the driveway, that's pretty much what I concentrate. And I do that on the road, too. About that distance, 20, 25 yards max. That's more civilian-like, would you agree? You know, whereas if you are in, in the military or you are in law enforcement, and I guess I ought to throw in law enforcement in on this podcast as well, because, you know, a lot of law enforcement find themselves in, in, in survival situations that many civilians may not. Their distances of self-defense engagement are going to be far greater. That's when 600-yard and 1,000-yard battle rifles are important, is if you're in a military engagement. Not likely so if you are a civilian survivor, in my opinion. So, you know, when you start reading and hearing things about dudes that are bragging about the fact that they have a bolt-action sniper rifle, and they can reach out and touch somebody at 600 yards. That's all cool. And by the way, I wish I could shoot that well. I can't. I can't shoot that well at 600 yards. But when you hear people bragging about that, it kind of shows that they don't under really, really understand the realistics of civilian self-defense. Not military, but civilian self-defense. Okay, now let's talk about team strategies. In both situations, whether you're in the military and you're a member of a military unit, you're functioning as a team. But think about the ordinary civilian survivor. You know, you have a family to take care of, don't you? Your strategy, you are going to also be a team, okay? Your kids can help be part of the survival team, but it's not nearly going to be as large, is it? You're not going to have 20, 30, 40 able-bodied people who have been trained to fight. Instead, you're going to have some freaked out family members that may have never been through this before in their life. And that's a whole different story, isn't it? So your preparations. Let's talk about the differences in preparations between a military survival unit or a military defensive unit and a civilian Unit. Obviously, you know, the military, they're going to train differently. And they're going to have access to better training and more training. And training more often. 
Okay, the government is paying to train them and hopefully train them well. And let me tell you what, some of our American military is a very, very well-trained group, folks. And I know that some of you may be critical of the military. Some of you ex-military folks might be critical, but let's face it. When it comes to defensive training, most, most people who have been through the military have far more defensive training than an ordinary civilian living their everyday life ever gets exposed to. So I want to urge families out there listening to this to train together as a team, not only in self-defense, but, you know, train together as a team of what you're going to do if your house is on fire. What are you going to do if an earthquake hits? What are you going to do if a, if a hurricane is headed for your, for where you live? What are you going to do if a tornado unexpectedly comes through? What are you going to do if a terrorist attack, uh, if somebody drops a dirty bomb or something in your neighborhood? And there's a terrorist attack, and all of a sudden there's mayhem. What are you going to do if there's an extreme food shortage? I sure hope that as a team, you have been preparing for that. As a team, as a civilian team. But your team training as civilians, it is going to be quite different, isn't it? And the other thing is, uh, where civilian survival preparation is, is far different, is let's talk about neighbors. You know, if you're like me and you live in the suburbs, or I know some of you who listen to this show, some of you live in apartments, don't you? Or you live in densely populated areas. So I want to speak to those of you who are urban survivalists for a minute. Quite a bit different than rural survivalists. You know, you've got neighbors to think about. And hopefully you've been networking with your neighbors and talking to your neighbors. You know, maybe you have uh, done some of the things that I've talked about in earlier shows. Maybe you've put together some kind of a little community survivalist survivalist network. Okay, maybe you've got a group of people who are like-minded, who believe in common sense, preparedness, no whacked-out stuff. Uh, you know, and of course, maybe you train together. I hope you do. I hope you train together. Yours is going to be a lot different than a military unit training, again, because a military unit has a predetermined mission. Not that their mission always goes exactly how they planned it, because normally it doesn't, but at least they have plans. So I want to encourage you to, in some way, shape, or form, follow that philosophy that a military unit might employ, and that is train with the people around you as much as you can. Now, the last point that Furfall makes in this great article, I want to make the last point of this podcast and kind of close with it, but it's about mindset. You know, and, and there's often a lot of difference between a military mindset and a civilian mindset, okay? And then you also have what Furfall calls the, the third type of mindset, and I love his name for it here. He says it's, it's too much of the Call of Duty video game mindset, you know, it's where people think that what happens in these combat video games or action movies is, is the way to go. Boy, that's, that's what's going to happen. You know, that is entertainment. That's made for entertainment. Please don't think you're going to be a Call of Duty video game commando. That's probably not going to be the way it is, folks. That's fun, fun stuff to play. I've played it. I know. It's a blast. It's a good time. It's not reality, ladies and gentlemen, not for civilians. It might be more of a mindset for military, possibly, or even law enforcement, but I don't think generally for civilians. And, and what I want to say about mindset is recently I had the opportunity to interview John Hottaway. Uh, John Hottaway is a firearms trainer, and you can hear that interview 
uh, posted over at my other show, the Handgun World Show. It's the most recent episode. And I asked him to talk about mindset. And he talks about a civilian mindset. Not a law enforcement or a military defensive mindset. But, I, I, you know, a civilian survivalist when it comes to self-defense, you've you got to think a lot differently. You have to think more avoidance. In my opinion, avoid conflict. You know, heighten your situational awareness to do what you can to avoid getting in trouble, to avoid things happening. That's going to be quite different than, than a military thinker, isn't it? You know, milita- again, a lot of people in the military, uh, they know who their enemy is or they have a pretty good idea, and they have a fairly good idea where their enemy might be, and so they have a plan of action, and they're in offensive mode. They're in attack mode. As a civilian, if you want to avoid going to jail, if you want to avoid being accused of murder because there was some collateral damage for somebody that you shot at or you were, you know, trying to defend yourself some other way, if you want to avoid that, then learn the mindset of avoidance. And one of the best websites I can refer you to is nononsenseselfdefense.com. At least a couple times a month, I read some of the articles on nononsenseselfdefense.com. A lot of good common sense information in there. And and don't think it's all about guns, because it's not. That's one of the things that's great common sense self-defense and they talk a lot about avoiding situations and again the mindset you know think about the fact as a civilian and this is something i struggle with folks because hey let's face it i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and admit something to you folks i think it's a lot of fun it really is it's a lot of fun to sit and think about all these scenarios where Man, I might be in some kind of an ensconced position, and they're coming after me, and I'm just picking them off one by one. Now, in reality, it's probably no fun at all. If you've ever been in that situation, you're probably going to say to me, Bob, it's not fun. Because everybody I talk to that unfortunately has been in a situation like that, they don't report or talk about any fun that they've had. But sure, certainly it is. In the movies and in video games, it's fun, but that's not civilian survival. So I guess the whole point of this show, as I wrap it up, is be careful what you read, be careful who you listen to. You know, Make sure that they're coming from a civilian point of view. Now, if you are military and you are in active service and you want to find out what other military people who are in active service or other law enforcement people who are in active law enforcement are doing, if that's what you want to learn, then great. I'm sure there's tons of resources out there. But just beware of the Internet commandos, folks, because here's why I say beware of that. I think there's a lot of people out there trying to persuade others to engage in more of an offensive military mindset And what they're doing is they're convincing people to spend a lot of time and money on stuff that just might not pay off that greatly if the stink hits the fan in your area. There's a lot of people out there persuading others to drop $1,850 on an AR-15 and 3,000 rounds of ammo, but yet they don't have very many food stores or they don't have much water stored. 
or they don't have a 72-hour emergency bag if they have to be on foot. Or they don't carry around a travel emergency kit in the trunk of their Honda like I do when I'm traveling. Okay? Because they've neglected that because they haven't paid attention to it, and they've dropped all their cash because some commando said they've got to have this expensive rifle and all of this ammunition. And I'm a gun guy, folks. I like guns. I'll go ahead and I'll admit it. I like firearms. But when it comes to preparedness, when it comes to survival, and when it comes to the common sense things that me and my family are going to need if the stink hits the fan in our area, I don't take that gun approach very much. Okay, so that's, you know, I don't take that military approach. And again, I'm not picking on the military. As I said, please don't get the wrong impression. I'm just saying that those of you who are in active duty military, your life is quite a bit different than those of us who are civilians, is it not? You know, military people often find themselves in climates that are much more harsh than than what most civilians live in. And, of course, that presents a whole different set of survival plans. So, that's going to go ahead and conclude the show. I hope you got a little bit of information here. I hope I got you thinking about what are you reading, what are you listening to, what kind of plans are you making. And uh, come join our forum and come join us uh, that listen to this show and talk about common sense ideas. So, become more of a civilian warrior, I guess you could say. <laughs> All right, and think about the civilian survivalist mindset. Thanks for tuning in to episode 144, folks. My name is Bob Main. It's my goal to help you think about practical survival, common sense, do what you can with what you have, whatever you are, in the immortal words of Teddy Roosevelt. And, folks, and help you strengthen your resolve. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time, and I'll try not to let several weeks go by before putting out another episode. One more thing I forgot to cover uh, earlier in the show. Uh, I want to talk to you about my Survival Champions Club podcast. If you like this show and you like some of the things that I'm able to help you with, uh, I consider that an honor that you just simply listen to this show and that you keep listening each week. I do want to ask you for your support a little bit, if I can. Uh, I do have a couple of premium podcasts. What that means is you get exclusive information from me and from other people, from listeners that I interview as well. On my Survival Champions Club premium podcast, I want to invite you to join the club of people who want to be champions, the best that they can be at this game called Preparedness. So I've got a lot of unique information. It's a couple of hours long. It's only $15. It's a way for you to help support the show. I do have a couple versions of it, version 1 and version 2. So I'm bringing back version 1, and if you want to get both of them, you can get them both for $25. So you can get version 2 for 15 or both of them for 25 Just go to todayssurvival.com, and you'll see links there that say buy now, and you can click the Survival Champions Club podcast. It's just a way for you to give back. It's not mandatory, obviously. This podcast will always be free. I have a great time doing this. But your support would be appreciated. Thank you. I got a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, and a country boy can survive. Country folks can survive. I can plow a field all day long. I can catch catfish from dusk till dawn. 
anything.